Uh, so that lengthy talk that Steve mentioned earlier, that's my job. Now, um, some of you are nervous because there maybe already has been enough lengthy talks for you this morning, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to say what I want to say in good time, I promise. Uh, so a special welcome again to anyone who might be here with a, a friend or family member. Uh, maybe you um, haven't been to church in a long time, or maybe uh, this is your first experience with uh, a church. Just want to say welcome. You've made it to the halfway point uh, and uh, most of the singing. So uh, let's dive in. We're in a series that we're calling The Case for Christmas. And we're looking at the Christmas story and asking ourselves honestly if it can be true or not. At the center of the Christmas story is the birth of Jesus, along with the remarkable claim uh, that he was God's salvation plan for the whole world. The Gospels claim that he was the promised Messiah, uh, that he alone was the Savior of the world, that he not only lived among us, but he died on a cross and was uh, raised to life from the dead, that he was God himself. We have four biographies of Jesus uh, in the Bible. Those biographies are often called the Gospels. And they are named after the authors that wrote them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If we are to decide if the Christmas story is true or not, um, we need to investigate the sources. We need to uh, determine if those are true uh, by asking ourselves some critical questions. So, Uh, four critical questions that we are looking at in this series. We looked at one last week, asking the question, can the biographies of Jesus be trusted? Uh, This week we're looking at, does archaeology confirm or contradict Jesus' biographies? Three, did Jesus fulfill the attributes of God? Four, did Jesus and Jesus alone match the identity of the Messiah? So that's where we are and are heading in our series. Uh, Last week, Uh, We looked at the eyewitness evidence, asking again, can the biographies of Jesus be trusted? Since the Gospels are the source about who Jesus is, we must investigate those sources, asking, who wrote them? How did they come to know these things about Jesus? When were they written? Have they been tampered with over time? Uh, Our speaker, Dave Moore, last week uh, made it clear to us uh, that the accounts of Jesus we have in the Bible are reliable sources for a number of reasons. Number one, they were written by or in cooperation with eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So they were there and saw it. They knew Jesus, or they were interviewing somebody who was there and saw the events. These people were there to see the events, know someone directly. Okay, the second thing is these accounts would have been written and circulated during the time uh, of many of these witnesses, during their lifetime allowing both those who were sympathetic uh, as well as those who were opposed to Christianity uh, to offer their correction uh, of any inaccuracy in uh, telling the details. Now, this gives substantial weight to the Gospels as a reliable source for who Jesus really was. So if you missed last week, I I recommend go and find our podcast. You can get that on our website or through iTunes or uh, many other digital sources. Go and track that down. Um, uh, And again, if you want further, again, we give away a book, uh, The Case for Christ. Again, uh, four chapters from Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. You're welcome to that. If you didn't get a copy, we still have a few available, so make sure that you stop by the info desk on the way out and grab one of those. Or you can get that in a digital format as well, iTunes or or iBooks or something like that as well. Um, This week, we are looking at 
some scientific evidence, more scientific evidence. But before we dive in uh, to get us started, uh, who out there is watching The Flash? Anybody watching The Flash? You know, this one here? The, the, again, so it's DC, uh, the television uh, universe, uh, not the, the movie versions, but on television. So my wife and I have been watching this over the years. We like it because it's um, aimed at a younger audience, perhaps, than the Green Arrow. Anybody Green Arrow? Okay. Um, so for all of you who have no idea what any of this is, bear with me for just a moment. Dr. Caitlin Snow, a.k.a. Killer Frost, is one of the team members of Team Flash. The Flash, of course, is the fastest man alive. This speedster with incredible speed, and he uses it uh, in whatever way he, way he can to help the people of Central City and ultimately save the world every once in a while. Uh, so, Caitlin is right there week by week playing her part uh, in saving the world. She's a doctor, so she uses that to help and lend her scientific brain to the whole process. And then she also has some superpowers like the Flash. We won't go into that part just now. Um, okay. Um, in her backstory, this is maybe season five, so for any of you who are not quite there yet, I apologize for any spoilers. I promise this is not the major plot line, but it, it is out there, so beware. Um, Caitlin has always believed her father to be dead. He was the center of her world growing up, but just like that, he was gone. She has always had a difficult relationship with her mother, and losing him made that even more difficult. Recent evidence, however, shows that her, death, the, her father's death certificate is a forgery, and that her mother was somehow involved. She gets a hold of a letter that she never knew existed, from her father, and it has some markings on it that reminded her of some of her childhood drawings. She begins to pursue, pursue the truth with great fear. What if the evidence just confirms that her father really is dead and gone like she had always believed? What if he's alive? What does that mean for Caitlin? Why was she abandoned by her father? As she is wrestling with all of the possibilities she is looking through some of her drawings from when she was a kid. And now with her adult eyes and this letter with these other images from her father, she begins to see a pattern and begins to crack a code hidden there in her childhood artwork. And she finds this message as she decodes it. Caitlin, come and find me. Ooh. Um, that was the last episode that I saw. So if you've seen any other episodes after this, don't, you know, don't interrupt me uh, just yet. What do you think Caitlin does? Do you think she'll try to gather more evidence? Do you think she'll stop there because of fear? Do you think she will head to bed for the night and forget about the whole thing? She's going to dig through it all, isn't she? But why do you think she's going to dig through it? Is it because she likes the mental challenge of solving puzzles? No, she wants to know the truth. And more than that, she wants to find and know her father. So don't crack open your Netflix account on your phone just now to find out what happens next. But let's keep that in mind as we consider um, the evidence around these Gospels about the Christmas story. And understand that you 
are Caitlin, not actually, go with me on this. You are Caitlin. You're in desperate search of something. So how many of you open uh, Christmas in this season, open Christmas cards and wait for the money to fall out? Has anyone ever? How many of you have a sinking feeling when you realize it's just one of those thought that counts cards? Okay, yeah. How awful am I, right, to admit how greedy I am? And then I also ruined Christmas cards for everyone who's giving those thought that counts cards this season. Um... Every Christmas present ultimately disappoints. It might thrill you in the moment, but how come that doesn't last? Every card you receive, every letter, Christmas season itself will come and go and leave you still with some need. Um, even at this time, holiday seasons, being with your most treasured people reminds you that some of your treasured people are gone. And that some of the people that you're with won't always be with you. Uh, the same thing shows up when you turn on your television. And you look for a show and you sit there scrolling, however you do that, whatever device you're using to control your television. Um, you sit there scrolling and looking and looking and looking to find something. How many of you spend a half an hour doing that and then actually don't even watch anything? Because you couldn't find it. It was missing. You looked for it, but you couldn't find it. Or the fridge. How many go to the fridge and open it up hoping that something will inv like invite you in and say, here I am, take me and, and enjoy. And you just kind of stare at the ingredients hoping that something will materialize. Uh, and, and yet uh, someone will often ask you, like, what are you looking for? And you probably say something like, something to eat. But what you're probably saying is, I'm looking for satisfaction somehow. And somehow this deep need that we are looking for um, can't be refrigerated or found on Netflix. Um, Ecclesiastes puts it like this in verse 3 and 11. Talking of God, it says, He has also set eternity in the human heart. Well, what does that mean? When we long for eternity, it's like being hungry. Can you imagine if there was hunger but not food? Or thirst but not drink? Do you really think that the eternal longing found in the hearts of all of humanity has no match? That it can't be quenched? Our world is filled with people who are desperately trying to fill that longing, but in the end they are left wanting. The Bible teaches that our eternal longing can only be found and satisfied when we have an eternal relationship with the eternal God who created the world, the eternal God who sent his son into the world to save the world by giving us himself, Jesus. With that in mind, let's look at some evidence as we build our case for Christmas. So the scientific evidence, this is what we're specifically asking. Does the archaeology confirm or contradict Jesus' biographies. We looked last week at the eyewitness uh, accounts. We're now looking at does that have any support whatsoever. And then we're going to continue our journey. But now let's pause here. So many people have objections to Christianity. And they often source science as their reason for having doubts about it. Or completely rejecting it altogether. More often than not, I think they should actually be sourcing 
conspiracy theories, or it sounds hard, or la 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 as their reason for avoiding it. Because there is evidence. Now, evidence can be misleading. We all know that. Despite having the data available to us, um, we still must draw conclusions from it. Not to mention that sometimes misunderstandings about what faith is has led people to see faith as an opposite to science and reason. Nacho Libre, anybody? Do you remember this? I don't believe in God, I only believe in science, and the other character's always trying to baptize the other character. No? Okay, never mind. Scratch that from the record. See, it's coming to some of them. Okay. Now, on the contrary, biblical faith really is an invitation to open your eyes and ears to the realities around you. It is not an encouragement to close your eyes and plug your ears and say, la, 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 la. Now, we must also admit that, again, science is only capable of measuring certain things. You can't tell how fast you are going with a thermometer or how hot it is with a tape measure. You could measure both the speed and the temperature of a tape measure if the tape measure had fallen out of the pouch of an astronaut working on a space station and it was re-entering our atmosphere, but that's something else. Science is not the means by which we know and measure everything, but it can play its part. Especially since the central point of Christianity is an event in our history. It happened to a person that history cannot deny. It is centered on something that has occurred. There's no other religion or philosophy that is that real. I've actually heard people, maybe some of you have heard this said, this might even be your position, that they believe Jesus was fictional, that he's just a myth that's developed over time. I'm sorry, but to make that claim is to ignore a great deal of evidence and disagree with scholars who have devoted their lives to understanding history as much as possible. It's entirely unreasonable to remove Jesus from history. You're welcome to be an unreasonable person, but you can't make unreasonable claims and call yourself reasonable. It's one thing to hear an eyewitness account, though. Sometimes the evidence doesn't add up. For example, this is a, a true story. I won't give you all of the details, though. Uh, there was a murder case. Uh, and a man's wife and children were killed. The man claimed to be innocent and said that there was an attack in his home, that he fought the invaders, but he was knocked unconscious and woke up to find his family killed. And he believed right up until his conviction that he would get away with it. The detectives were skeptical from the start. The living room showed few signs of a struggle, or like a life and death kind of a struggle the evidence directly kind of contradicted the man's version of what had happened. And eventually, because of the evidence, he was convicted. See, skeptic, uh, skepticism wasn't enough. They actually needed evidence. But because of um, blood-type evidence, they were able to identify certain things in the home. They were able to go, does this actually support his story or contradict his story? Now, Hundreds of archaeological findings from the first century have been unearthed, uncovered. Do these contradict the accounts about Jesus, or do they support them? We're going to look at an interview 
um, from Lee Strobel, again, the author of Case for Christmas and Case for Christ. Uh, he interviewed a man named uh, John McRae, and uh, many scholars and student, students tune, uh, turn to McRae's textbook, which is entitled Archaeology and the New Testament, for answers to this kind of question. But first, uh, what can't archaeology tell us about the Bible? We mentioned earlier that certain aspects of science can only prove certain things. Strobel begins his interview by asking what archaeology can't tell us about the New Testament. Um, in answer to this, Ms. McRae would say, it certainly can't prove whether the New Testament is the word of God. If we dig in Israel and find ancient sites that are consistent with where the Bible said we'd find them, that shows us its his history and geography are accurate. It doesn't confirm that what Jesus Christ said is right. Spiritual truths cannot be proved or disproved by archaeological discoveries. But what can archaeology tell us? When you are trying to determine if a witness is telling the truth, a journalist or a lawyer will test the elements of the story that you can test. If the evidence shows that some of the details are inaccurate, their testimony might be proven false. For example, you're chatting with someone, and they tell you that they traveled from Mooshaw to Calgary, leaving at 4 p.m., and said that they stopped in Regina to watch Avengers Infinity War Part 2, and then arrived in Calgary at 8 p.m., you could evaluate aspects about what they said to find out if it, what he's saying might be true. You might notice that the distance between Mooshaw and Calgary is 688 kilometers, and that to arrive by 8 p.m., you would have to travel at a great speed. Maybe some of you have done that. Um, not to mention that he also went to Regina first in the wrong direction and also watched a very lengthy movie that has yet to be released. <laughs> Based on the facts that he reported, it's likely, is it likely that he's telling the truth, that this person's telling the truth? If the facts did, however, check out, it doesn't mean that everything that they say about their story is true, but it does enhance their reputation for being accurate. So our journalist friend Lee Strobel asked McRae, does archaeology affirm or undermine the New Testament when it checks out the details in those accounts? McRae responded quite quickly, there is no question that the credibility of the New Testament is enhanced. Is anybody shocked by that statement? There is no question that the credibility of the New Testament is enhanced. McRae went on to cite an example from one of his own digs. Um, many people had a reason to question another historian by the name of Josephus. Josephus had reported that a certain seaport, uh, that it had a certain size of port. But when you go to that site now, it appears significantly smaller than he had reported. So people had questions about that. That can't be accurate somehow. Can anything that he say be trusted if he's inaccurate about this? Uh, but uh, um, when they did uh, more underwater excavation, the evidence showed that, in fact, Josephus was reporting accurately. The harbor extended much further underwater and that the structures themselves had fallen into the sea or water levels had changed or something uh, and that what was once doubted upon further investigation was proven to be true. Um, what about the Bible? Let's take a look at the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor who claimed to have uh, 
to investigated and interviewed a bunch of people about the life of Jesus. Uh, and he's responsible for writing almost a quarter of the New Testament, uh, including the Gospel of Luke, which is the, kind of the lengthiest of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts, which is the sequel. Those are kind of part one and part two. The Apostle Paul also reports about Luke, that he carefully investigated everything so that he could write an orderly account about the certainty of what had occurred, speaking of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So is Luke careful or sloppy in his reporting? The general consensus among both liberal and conservative scholars is that Luke is very accurate as a historian. His writing stands out in the New Testament since it clearly demonstrates that he was edu educated, being a doctor. Time and time again, archaeological discoveries enhance the accuracy of Luke's reporting. In fact, many times, like the situation with the harbor, there may have been doubts, but upon further investigation, as more evidence came in, he was only proved to be more and more um, trustworthy. Some examples of this from the Christmas story. There's a census. Everyone knows there's a census in the Christmas story that sends Mary and Joseph down from where they lived in Nazareth down to Bethlehem where Jesus would be born. Um, so people wonder, is there any evidence to suggest that this actually happened? Was that common practice or not? Or did they just kind of email everyone and have them you know, respond that way? Um, and there's many documents actually that support this idea. That was kind of just how it was uh, done. Some people had questions about this, but there's lots of evidence that has shown um, that this was common practice during that day. Uh, other things, the political leaders um, mentioned in the Christmas story, some have said, hang on, this Quirinius guy, uh, and we've got this Herod guy, and when you look at some historical records, it sounds like in the Christmas story that they're there at the same time and they're working together and that's kind of who's in charge at the time. When you look at other records, one's actually already dead before the other one actually starts to rule, and there's a large gap in between. And so how do we kind of reconcile this? Um, now, you might not know um, two guys by the name of Quirinius, um, but have you ever met more than one uh, Dave? I, uh, I have. Uh, I was in a class my first year uh, of college uh, in my one classroom. There's 24 people, and six of them were Daves. Uh, I, I knew another uh, friend of mine, uh, Dave. He worked in an office with three other people, and all three other people were also named Dave. So they went by D1, D2, D3, and D4. Uh, now, there, when they, again, they look at it, it seems like there's a discrepancy, but as they investigate, they find out, actually, there was just two Quiriniuses. There was Quiriniuses everywhere. I kind of operate, you know, when you forget somebody's name and you're trying to remember what it is, I kind of, in the back of my mind, I have this phrase that goes through the, my, my head that says, again, m mainly speaking of men, when in doubt, it's probably Dave. <laughs> so maybe at this time, again, people were thinking, when in doubt, it's probably Quirinius, because there was, again, a number of people with the same exact name, and some of those records are hard to keep track. But when you investigate it thoroughly, you find out that, again, uh, over and over again, uh, the Bible is proven to be accurate about these kind of things. Now, some people have also even questioned Nazareth. Uh, there's no other place where people could find that Nazareth uh, even existed. Um, you know, this is the uh, town where Jesus grew up. Uh, and some people say, well, it doesn't even show up in other records um, until much, much later, the fourth century or something. Finally, somebody mentions Nazareth. Um, but again, this was a very small town, probably less than 500 people. 
Uh, and again, uh, looking into some records that related to um, priests uh, in Israel being kind of moved around after the fall of um, the temple, uh, you know, it was all was destroyed in AD 70. Um, priests were kind of dispatched from there to a number of other places. So in some of those records, they were actually able to find that some people were dispatched to, again, Nazareth, where they were able to find out, yes, actually, this again is true. This is accurate. This actually was a place as Luke had stated it. Um, other people have raised questions about, uh, in the Christmas story, there is a mention of a slaughter. King Herod hears about the potential king of the Jews being born, uh, and by the wise men, right, who come in the Christmas story. He hears about that, and then he sets out to have uh, those uh, children killed. And because of a dream that Joseph has, Joseph and Mary, uh, you know, with Jesus, he has this dream and he says, we have to get out of here, and they head to Egypt. Uh, all of that actually fulfilled many pr uh, prophecies from the Old Testament that they would, again, write that Jesus would be from Nazareth, but born in Bethlehem, but that he would also come out of Egypt. Um, all of that kind of happened, but people said, wouldn't there be some kind of a record, right? That would be on the news if something like that happened today. Um, but again, at that time, it was a small town, very small town, there would have been few uh, children ultimately in number, though still an incredible tragedy. But Herod was killing even his own family to protect uh, his rule. If anyone was a threat to his throne, he was having them executed all the time. Uh, and so again, remember, this is a different time entirely. Okay, so that's a little bit about Luke. What about John's gospel, for example? A number of things in John's gospel o over time have seemed unverified, making it seem like he didn't even have first-hand knowledge of the uh, events or the places involved uh, in, these, uh, in his account. But again, further investigation has revealed more and more accuracy. Uh, for example, uh, John 5, uh, kind of in verses 1 to 15, um, he mentions the pool of Bethsaida, uh, and he says there was five porticos. If you don't know what that is, it's just kind of a, you know, an architectural feature that he was highlighting. This is what it was. This is what it looked like. Um, but they couldn't find that place um, for a long time. But in recent years, about 40 feet below ground, they found that exact place, exactly as John had described it, proving again and adding credibility to uh, Jesus, um, uh, John's account of Jesus' life. And what was going on. Um, so again, McRae finally sums up and he says this. Archaeology has not produced anything that is unequivocally a contradiction to the Bible. Uh, another um, Australian archaeologist, Clifford Wilson, he said this. Those who know the facts now recognize the New Testament. And it must be accepted as remarkably accurate as a source book. So beyond just the Bible, this is what we know about Jesus' life. Just from other sources looking at them that are trusted, Jesus was a Jewish teacher. Many people believed that he healed and performed exorcisms. Some people believed he was the Messiah. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Despite his shameful death, his followers, who believed he was still alive, spread throughout the Roman world. All kinds of people, slave and free, worshipped him as God. You can find all that information in other documents besides the Bible. One expert documented 39 ancient historical sources, 
corroborating hundreds of facts concerning Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. So I hope to make the point here this morning that there are qualified people who actually have answers for the many questions we might have. I know some of you want more answers to these questions. You might have lots as it relates to the Christmas story or as it relates to aspects of the New Testament. But our time is short, and I'm not one of the experts. But for a start, read Case for Christmas. For more advanced study, read The Case for Christ. Even beyond that, read all of the books and textbooks written by the experts that Lee interviews. If you want to know answers, there are many available. If you have questions, go and get the answers. So to answer the question, does archaeology confirm or contradict Jesus' biographies? I think we can safely say, even briefly here this morning, that yes, it confirms the biographies. It enhances the accuracy. These are eyewitness accounts that have reported everything as accurately as they could have. And the Bible stands out as a leader in historical accuracy. But so what? We said earlier that historical accuracy doesn't mean that Jesus was really who he said he was. But maybe for the first time, some of you need to admit that you've had doubts about everything except for your doubts. Would you check your heart's motivation? Do you have your spiritual breaks on for good reason? Or is it because of something else? Is it fear? Is it pride? Now I realize there's more questions to answer and we hope to do some of that in the next few weeks looking at these very reliable documents to see who Jesus claims to be. So again, as we head forward, we're going to look at did Jesus fulfill the attributes of God and did Jesus and Jesus alone match the identity of the Messiah? So we're not going to answer it all now. There's still more questions. But remember Caitlin Snow? The last episode again that I saw, it ended with this Caitlin Come find me. Perhaps there's a journey of discovery um, ahead of you. For some of you, it will be looking at the details of history and seeing your heavenly father in them. For others of you, it might be that you find God for the very first time. Christmas is where we celebrate the incarnation, God with us. We marvel at the fact that he came, but he came with a purpose. That was fulfilled when Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross. The invitation of Jesus is to not know and follow his teachings, though certainly that becomes a part of life. His invitation was to believe in him. It all hangs on him. He said this in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you are searching and seeking this morning, maybe you came in believing that Christianity simply isn't true, I hope you will reconsider the evidence. But if this morning you found yourself being drawn in 
by the reality of the story of Jesus in our history, and not only to our history, but to you yourself. Maybe you're on the edge of making that personal decision. I invite you to make that decision today. We'd love to talk with you more about that, but even now, can I invite you to pray a simple prayer? You can pray this simple prayer silently right where you are. Jesus, I believe in you, even though I still have some unanswered questions. I see that I am a sinner in need of a savior, and the only one who can save me is you. Come into my life like a flood so that my deepest desires can be satisfied eternally in you. Help me to live my life in the reality of your love demonstrated on the cross, dying for me. Maybe you are a believer. Can I encourage those of you who might say, I just believe because I know it in my heart. To remember that all of Christianity began not because of a collection of teachings or upon blind faith, but because of a real person dying on an actual cross and then coming back to life, appearing to hundreds of witnesses. It is a reality that science, it's, science itself can lead us to, but we must make it personal. If you are a believer, would you join me in not only being affirmed in our faith by briefly looking at the evidence, but would you seriously consider how the details of history might change the life of someone that you encounter? Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 says this, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. People have questions. How readily do you keep the answers? The worship team is going to lead us in another song here at the end. Um, and it's a song that celebrates God with us, Emmanuel. But uh, I'll maybe just pray as I close. Um, but first, just have a couple of announcements for you. Um, this is the last chance for prime timers for you to get your tickets. They'll be available in the entranceway, so make sure you pick them up.